the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Come back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. It is a delight to bring back, I was going to say my old friend, I've been corrected on these kinds of constructions, my longtime friend, Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy McCarthy is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, a contributing editor at National Review, and the author of many books, including Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing great, Seth, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you call me old. You're not old. Come on. If you're old, I'm old. How long have we known each other? Okay. I know I know the first time I ever interviewed you. I remember what – you a trivia question. I remember this. It was during the um, – do you remember this? It was during the 9-11 commission hearings uh, and we uh, – The wall. The, the wall that was erected by what was her name? Yeah. Jamie Gorelick. Jamie Gorelick. Bill Bennett and I said, this is uh, really interesting. Who do you got who you know? We called Neil Cazadoy and said, who do you got who you know who knows something about this? He goes, gosh, it's thin pickings. But there is this one guy, Andrew McCarthy. And I think we called you. You, know, you were I, driving somewhere in Western Mass or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I must say I was a much better writer when uh, Neil was editing me. <laughs> that's a great line. I'm going to have to steal it. That is great. You well, are a long-time I, friend. I you are not. Heard it. I, I, prob- I probably heard it from Neil. <laughs> <laughs> You're making it better and better. Andy, uh, things we thought we had dealt with, um, they're back again. Um, the Iran nuclear deal, the Russia-Iran-Biden deal. You had two pieces up. I, I, I loved them both. Russia-Iran taunt Biden and humiliating revival of the nuclear deal. And then the second part, where's the GOP resistance to it? Let's handle it in that order. First, talk to us about why this is a bad idea in the first place. Well, it's a, it's a terrible idea that gets worse every time we kick the tires a little bit more. Uh, I'm actually going to have something uh, else on this because the latest news, even beyond what we've already talked about, is that uh, uh, according to Tom Rogan, the uh, Justice Department has a case on two members of the uh, IRGC, uh-huh. which is the, uh, the, the uh, Revolutionary Islamic Guard Corps, yep. mm-hmm. which we've had designated as a terrorist organization for a number of years in the United States. Uh, they have a case on them for plotting to kill American officials, including John Bolton. I saw that. Mike yeah. Pompeo. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, according to the reporting and the source that uh, Rogan has at the uh, Justice Department, they have delayed indicting that case because they don't want publicity uh, to the plot because they're worried that it would derail the new, uh, the new and supposedly improved Iran nuclear deal. Um, which, of course, from from my perspective, that's exactly why you should. It's old and unimproved. Yeah, right, to, right, right, right. Um, that it would derail it, but it, it's a it's a horrible deal and. Uh, I, I thought when the first deal was uh, went through seven years ago, that that I couldn't imagine anything worse than that. But this is actually worse, if it's possible, because 
that deal in a nutshell, which didn't prevent the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon. So the avowed purpose of doing a deal with these guys was to prevent them, but the deal didn't prevent them. It basically delayed them on a window of about 8 to, to 13 years or so. With a lot of American uh, at the end money. Of the rainbow, right. He, Right. At the end of that, even if they complied with everything, they would have been a you know flip of a switch away from a nuclear weapon. Right. Uh, but back in those days, seven years ago, um, Obama merely ignored the fact that the Iranians were the world's leading state sponsor of anti-American terrorism, mm-hmm. among the other mayhem that they do. Mm-hmm. And they treated it as if it was just a nuclear deal, right. no other consideration. Right. Now, flash forward seven years, the same terrible deal, except now, in order to entice the Iranians into making the deal, what Biden is talking about doing is giving them sanctions relief for all the things we didn't consider in the first deal. So sanctions relief for terrorism, sanctions relief for uh, ballistic missiles, sanction relief for regional aggression, sanction relief for human rights abuses the whole array of things that they said that we didn't need to think about in 2015 because it was just a nuclear deal. You know, there is so much to say about this. Let's start with the part that it ignores the terrorism front. Let's just start on that alone. Even John Kerry, as Secretary of State, was later caught probably in an unguarded moment. It was not off mic, but I'm sure he regrets saying it because it keeps coming back to haunt him that he couldn't guarantee some of the billions we were sending wouldn't end up in the hands of terrorists. That came after the deal, as did the hostage uh, paying money for hostages. I mean, all of the bad stuff we learned about it came after it. It was one of those things you have to you have to sign it before you can find out what's in it situation. But it dawns on me, you know, Andy, when we're thinking about this plot to assassinate American leaders or Republican American officials um, and still going ahead with the deal and maybe concealing that fact from the American public, you know, we had that with the old one, too. People forget the Iranian plot. I think in that case, it might have been the Quds Force. But the Iranian plot that would have bombed Cafe Milano on Prospect Street and probably taken out half of Georgetown. That was like that was three yeah. years before the deal. We just seem yeah, not to care exactly about Iranian right. terrorism for some reason. Yeah, that's exactly right. Seth. And the other thing about this that, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we have to sign the deal to see what. Yeah, in. yeah. We didn't even get to see what's in it. That's right. Because the way that Obama structured this, I mean, this was dastardly clever, but he, you know, he got away with it. Um, they have this cockamamie uh, Bob Corker legislation that supposedly allows Congress to review the deal. Mm-hmm. And in order to get that, they had to turn on its head the treaty, the treaty clause. So under the Constitution, there's a presumption against deals with foreign powers because the framers were suspicious of them. So in order to show that it's, it's you know, to, to make sure that a deal is actually in America's interest, it has to be presented by the Senate and approved by a two-thirds supermajority to take effect. What the Congress did, Obama didn't even want to give this deal to Congress because it would have never it, it would have never met those thresholds, agreement. right? It just never would have, right? Right. So what Corker agrees to is exactly the opposite. Basically, if Congress wanted to disapprove the deal, right. you needed two-thirds, because that was what would have been required to overcome <laughs> right. a, a veto by Obama. So right. that was ridiculous. 
But the other thing was the some of the key elements of it, Obama structured the deal so that those were private side agreements between the Iranians and the United Nations uh, Atomic Energy Agency, mm-hmm. the IAEA. So therefore, they took the position that they couldn't share those with Congress because America, the United States was not a party right. to those agreements. Right, right, right. Nuclear deal by leisure domain. This deal that we're looking towards, Andy, that – I mean there's a lot of speculation going on and I, I, I suspect you're, you're absolutely right about the you know, Department of Justice trying to conceal this newfound information about them targeting American leaders. Uh, but it also seems to me that maybe this was part of the reason that it took until today for Joe Biden to stop buying Russian oil and gas – because he wanted Russia to do our bidding to get Iran to a table that we wanted them at that maybe they weren't so excited to be at in the first place. I mean, this is speculation, but there's really no other explanation for this. Yeah, no, I think he got goaded into this. And, and frankly, Seth, I want to see the fine print before I believe that uh, you know we're completely Yeah, I do too. Shutting, yeah, shutting I, do. I, I do too. Because I've heard all – you know, they were going to, they were going to have uh, – they're going to put in all these SWIFT, uh, you know, they're going right. to completely cut them out of SWIFT, too, right? But when we got the fine print of that, they didn't do that either. But they don't so, have rational answers yeah. for it either, too, right? I mean, it's weird how he... Well, did. they, I guess they have rational answers, but rational answers that they're too... <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. They want, uh, they wanted Russia's intercession to get this done, and they're embarrassed by that because, you know, out of one side of Biden's mouth, he's saying that we're trying to isolate Putin and turn him into a pariah to strangle him into stopping his aggression, which day by day they're, you know, they're attacking civilians, they're uh, committing war crimes. And then in the other side of his mouth, you know, they're basically saying uh, we have mutual interest with Russia and we, <laughs> yeah. we praise yeah. the, uh, the great constructive role they've yeah. had in this uh, negotiation. Yeah. Uh, I want to be cognizant of your time. Do you have time for one more segment, or do you got to run? Yeah, sure. No, I'd no, love no. to keep you, because I have some more I want to talk to you about with regard. I'm Seth sure. Liebson. He is Andrew C. McCarthy, Andy McCarthy. Read everything he writes, folks. Uh, I promise you, you'll be smarter for it. He's the kind of teacher who, in his writing, answers the question you naturally would have. I don't know a lot of writers like that. Andy does that. He's uh, preternaturally gifted at teaching exactly what it is you want to know. I'm Seth Liebson. He's... Andrew C. McCarthy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Andrew C. McCarthy is our guest, author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, author of many books. He is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. And he's talking about a little bit about this Iran deal, which is ostensibly or at least publicly designed or or sold as preventing Iran or delaying Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. Do we need a deal to do this? I mean, do we need a, a deal to do this? Is, is this a necessary thing? Why the anxious propitiation to sit down with a country that doesn't want to sit down with us? Is it for poll numbers, do you think? I mean, I, what, what if you can get into the head of this administration – uh, what what is the actual thinking on this? This is this is I think a um, somewhat worse than when we discussed this during the Obama yeah. days because yeah. I think 
this is very hard. It's hard for me to explain because it's hard for me to understand. Right. But Obama's view of the world was that we needed to reorient the United States relationship with the Middle East right. so that we had uh, an, a, a good relations with Iran, which they regarded as a stabilizing uh, feature of, of the region, right. and more distance with Israel and our traditional Sunni Arab allies. Now, right. I thought that was ridiculous, but that's how... That was at least the, the rational thinking, the thinking of the rational. Right. Okay. And now what we're seeing with, with this cast of characters now is they believe they accept Obama's view of the world to begin with. And then this other crazy thing that's been going on for now 13 months that is that anything Obama did that Trump undid has to be redone yeah. the way Obama had it. Yeah. So we've seen that at the border, and you, you're much more familiar with what's going on down there than I am because you're, you're so closer to it there. But I think don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. You calling from the well, elite no, precincts of well, the west side of Manhattan. Come on. <laughs> you got your but problems. You got non-citizens it. voting, at least. We don't have that well, yet. <laughs> you, are not, you, you are not kidding. Oh. But I do think the same stupid dynamic with the Biden administration thinking on the border is at play here. Yeah. But, you know, basically, Trump undid it, so we must you know, undo what Trump did and restore Obama's view of the world. Well, if there is going to be a region that is going to cause headaches or hair pulling or hand wringing, usually it's going to be the Middle East. I mean, they're they're going to contend for it if they aren't it. But you got to. I mean, even if you're even if you're you know a State Department type or whatever in this administration, you do kind of have to look at the last five years or so as being in the Middle East fairly as the Middle East goes under their thresholds, fairly Pacific. It's not a. It doesn't seem like it's a region that needs a lot of stirring up right now, unless I'm wrong, and you can tell me if I am. No, I think you, I think you're quite correct, but I also think that there's a there's a deep hostility on the woke left yeah. against Israel yeah. and against Trump. Yeah. So you know, I, I, unfortunately, just for for spite and out of some of their ideology, they have to move the pieces, even though everything is working. You know, as well as it's ever worked there. Yeah, and I mean, there are ways to prevent countries from becoming nuclear without these kinds of deals. I mean, we've seen... Okay, yeah. One of the identifiers I didn't use for you, I usually do, former federal prosecutor, one of the most important prosecutions in the history of uh, 20th century America, you led, Andy, uh, had to do with terrorism, and you made us a safer country. So thank you for your work, and I know you had a price on your head and didn't come easy. So thank you for all that. In the context of that, in the dark of night, it seems, or at least the cover of darkness, we released uh, a high-value detainee, as they say, from Guantanamo Bay, known as the 20th hijacker. People had to think a minute. 20th hijacker. 20th hijacker. man named Katani. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, this is going to be – this is a problem with Katani, but it's a deeper problem. Uh, Katani was supposed to be one of the – Teams of uh, the, if you remember the the plane that was taken down bravely, Flight 93, that was taken down by the passengers and crew. Right. Probably the reason, one of the reasons that they were able to do that was the fact that it was a four man team. Yeah, it was a man short, man. right? Right, and he was the man. Yeah. he was the one who right. was supposed to be on the team. But here's the problem with um, with Katani and with a lot of these. You know, we're still holding dozens of people at, at Gitmo. 
and only a handful of them have been charged. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing for Biden to run around saying, I ended the war, I ended the war. Afghanistan may have been, you know, may have been terrible getting out of there, but the war is over. Yay! Extraordinary success, I believe, was his words. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, if you're holding people as enemy combatants, you're only allowed to do that yeah. if the laws of war apply. Oh, good point. This if is going to be a problem. If, if, there's no more, huh? if there's no more war, yeah. then you either have to charge the Marines. Uh, this is going to be a bigger problem. Yeah, uh, It's yeah. going to be a big problem. And it's not just this guy. No, it's not. And uh, will, that, will that also apply? Maybe not because he wasn't taken – I don't believe he was taken from the fields of Afghanistan. Uh, was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? We still have him. That's is he the highest value detainee? We have? Right. He, yes, and he's charged. Those yeah. guys are So charged. okay, so that's out of that realm. Okay. But anyone who's not charged, you have to be charged either in the military system or the civilian system with a war crime or or a civilian crime. And if you're not, we're supposed to release you if the war is over. So if you press Biden about whether he really ended the war, he's going to have to say he didn't. Because that's the only way that they can maintain a legal pretext to hold these people. Got it. Uh, you made a little reference to the Corker uh, position. There is floating around this thought back on the Iran side, Andy, that uh, right. whatever deal we take has to go through, even though not through the strictures of a treaty, has to go through some congressional level of approval based on a statute that was passed a few years ago. Is there any teeth in that or is there any meaning in that? Well, the Biden administration, I think, outrageously, so far as we understand from the reporting, that is taking the position that because this merely revives the deal that uh, Congress has already reviewed, uh-huh. they don't have to bring it back to Congress. But as we've discussed, it's got a bunch of new terms. Yeah. And it's really not a revival of the old deal. You couldn't revive the old deal if you wanted to. Right. Because between Trump pulling us out of it in 2018 and then all the conditions changing, including Iran, then basically ignored the limitations and enriched up to 60 percent. And they've they've got, uh, you know, all this expertise that they've gotten from that experience. They can't unlearn that. So the conditions under which the 2015 deal were struck no longer obtained. Right. So, you know, even if we didn't, even if we weren't right about all those other things, like all the sanctions that had nothing to do with the 2015 deal, but they're now being addressed now that that make it obvious that this is a new deal. You couldn't revive the old deal if you wanted to. And I, I hope Congress doesn't let Biden get away with this idea that, you know, he doesn't have to. And that law, by the way, was passed because of the old. I mean, the original intent, uh, the whole thing is upside down. Andy McCarthy, thank you for straightening it out. Always really appreciate your friendship and your scholarship and your time. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dan. Great to talk to you. Always. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. I think train songs and radio songs are my favorite of the bumper music, I think. That and anything by uh, any, 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 any version of Southern Cross, originally by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you in part by the good folks at Balance of Nature. They, um, they're fruits and veggies I take every day. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole veggies. What are we talking about with the fruits? We're talking about tomato, papaya, banana, apple, grape, wild blueberry, strawberry, aloe vera, raspberry, grapefruit, cranberry, tart cherry, oranges, everything you'd want, lemons. Uh, and it's all, it's all just 
pure natural fruit. No additives, no extracts or synthetics. It's gluten-free, 100% whole food. There's nothing added to it. The capsules are made of vegetarian. If you don't like them, they're designed to easily open up so you can sprinkle it into drink or food. If you don't like swallowing them, you can also chew them. Check out the Fruits and Veggies Balance of Nature. They've kept me well for three years. Balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. For the best deal on their fruits and veggies, make sure to use discount code balance. Discount code balance. It's amazing as we're watching the news in real time and we're having these thoughts that we know are going to be taken as seriously as our uh, dissenting thoughts were taken during uh, the first year and a half or two really of COVID. And it'll take maybe two or three or more years for the rest of the country and maybe media to catch up. Maybe it takes a change of administration. Maybe it takes a change of conventional wisdom. But you are presented lies in real time by this administration. I mean, every administration has its shades of truth. Uh, I am waiting for the Washington Post to do a list of Joe Biden's lies. It would well outdo the things they said about Donald Trump at this point. Um, Talking about, you know, putting putting uh, sanctions today. Today, we decided to put sanctions on uh, Russia's energy and gas uh, uh, imports to the United States, the energy and gas to Russia that we import here in the United States today. What, what, what caused that? Two things. The polling that the administration saw where Americans said they would put up with a little bit of a higher price if it meant actually socking it to Vladimir Putin, but also, I think, to get the uh, goods on the Iran deal, using the Russians to apply pressure to coerce Iran to sit down with us. At the same time that's going on, there does seem to be this new cult, not unlike masks and vaccines, about electric vehicles, doesn't there? Are you beginning to sense that? Are you beginning to sense that? Uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, your Secretary of Transportation uh, yesterday, said... That Well, here, I think I have the audio. Do I have the audio? I have the audio. For the American people, clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so the people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. Uh, do you understand, you understand what's taking place cost. right there? They're doing charging stations. But he's saying that it'll make the EVs more affordable. The charging stations have nothing to do with the affordability of electric vehicles. Nothing to do with it. The average cost of an electric vehicle is itself $55,000. By the way, do the math. Some people have. Go to Powerline. One guy did the math. He said he'd have to buy 4,000 gallons of gas at $5 per gallon or 37,000 gallons to break even if he bought an electric vehicle. A is not connected to B here. They're just trying to sell you B. Don't th- Oh, you did this for me, didn't you? Did you do this for me? Bless you, sir. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you live by the guns from the Guns Etc. Studios. I'm going to talk a little bit later. Probably uh, I'm, I'm having Bacha Unger Sargon on later in the show, and uh, she is uh, such an interesting thinker because uh, she comes at things from the left. She sees things 
the struggles through uh, the issues, the lenses of uh, class more than so many other leftists today who see things through the lens of race. But let's let, let me say a word or two about elitism and class and see if we can get her to talk a little bit about it too. Over at The Federalist, uh, Kylie Zempel takes an interesting example using uh, Rochelle Walensky, the director of the Centers for Disease Control, and writes up that during a, a visit last week, speech last week at the Washington University School of Medicine, Walensky threw a one-two punch at her critics, but it didn't quite land. It instead only broadcast more elitist hubris and reinforced why federal health bureaucrats haven't retained a shred of credibility. Talking about the vaccines, this is what she said, quote, this is your director of the CDC, quote, so many of us wanted to be hopeful. So many of us wanted to say, "Okay, this is our ticket out, right? Now we're done. So I think we had perhaps too little caution and too much optimism for some good things that came our way. I really do. I think all of us wanted this to be done. Nobody said wanting, you know, oh, this vaccine's going to work. Nobody said, oh, maybe it'll wear off. Nobody said, what if it's not as potent against the next variant? Close quote. In response to a different question about risk-benefit assessments, a few moments later in the speech, she said, chuckling snidely, or as she said, tongue-in-cheek, quote, I know I'm going to be wrong for half the country, so now that I've accepted that, dot, 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 close quote, the obvious implication of her remark, of course, is that no matter what she says, half the country would disagree with her expert opinion. Throughout the pandemic, this half included those who have resisted mask mandates for school tr- children, which Walensky has already admitted were not dictated by science but by teachers' unions, those who have hesitated to get the COVID shot, those who have gathered with friends and family, and those unvaccinated with natural immunity who declined to wear a mask, just to name a few. But the irony is that this half the country also included the people who said precisely the things Walensky now insists nobody said. Wanting immunity? It'll wear off. Maybe not as good against the next variant. Maybe it wouldn't work as well as they said. She's telling us nobody said that? (laughs) Countless of Americans said it. They were censored. Maybe that's why she didn't see it. But countless Americans have remained unvaccinated, too, for now. And anyone who has ventured into middle America to talk to people outside the Beltway in the halls of academia knows that they've declined the shots for a lot of different reasons. Some haven't gotten it because they have never been at a significant risk of severe illness or death. Some of them have made the equation they'd rather not experiment with something rather new and novel itself that has an over 98 percent survival rate. Others haven't gotten it for religious reasons. There's any number of reasons. Some people fear needles. Some people have bad reactions. Some have pre-existing immunity. Some have other kinds of natural immunity. But others wondered how long vaccine immunity would last and if natural immunity might be stronger, something most rigorous studies have supported. Some non-vulnerable people wanted to see if the vaccines would really stop transmission or if they would only aid the individuals who got the shot. Others knew Viral mutation was inevitable and wondered whether vaccinating against one variant would do them any good against the next. So they waited to find out. Perhaps Walensky doesn't know these things were being said because her friends in the Biden administration were working overtime to ensure these unsavory opinions were slapped with a misinformation label and nuked from the Internet. 
Big tech got trigger happy with their bans, issuing fake fact checks against contrary opinions to keep them from seeing the light of day. And only last week, let me just insert here, did the Surgeon General ask for Americans to report on other Americans or at least on media channels that they received misinformation. However, he today defines it. You know what my definition of misinformation is when it comes to COVID? My definition of misinformation is two months after the CDC says it, it will become no longer misinformation. It's misinformation only for two months when it will become conventional wisdom and seen as information. The whole the whole thing against Joe Rogan or for that matter, the Great Barrington Doctors or Scott Atlas. I'll put me and Heather and Bill and Dennis in this because we were the, some of the first writing nationally and internationally on this stuff. Hum, I, I mean, I mean to do so humbly, but I'll put us in there. There just weren't that many of us. We were there. And boy, did we have a lot of fights with our conservative publishers about this stuff. You know, we were more right than Fauci. We were more right on almost everything we said than the quote unquote experts who said we were guilty of misinformation. Anyway, dissenters had their opinions shouted out of the public square. The vaccine hesitant had their faith scrutinized and their employment terminated. And corrupt media churned out its daily dose of propaganda, which often featured disconnected pundits reinforcing the bureaucracy's narrative that the wrong thinkers are selfish rubes without ever bothering to ask them about their questions and concerns. So maybe Walensky really thinks nobody ever did say these things. But it seems more likely that Walensky knows full well that Americans have been saying these things from the beginning. Given the desperate scramble to improve poll numbers and recover, recover their blown credibility, Walensky's remarks and context look more like a CYA attempt. Can I? I'll just say CYA. CYA attempt and limited hangout operation. How else are we to interpret her blame shifting to the public at large for believing the science to be black and white? It's so incredibly irksome to hear Walensky now admit after Dr. Anthony Fauci declared that he is the science and COVID cultists chanting follow the science that the science is gray. That's what Walensky said. The science is gray said that on Thursday. It's not what we were hearing for two years, was it? It's beyond annoying to listen to her say the pandemic could make masking a regular exercise because she hasn't had a cold in a really long time, and we don't miss those. Does that sound like science to you? Does that sound like science to you? Well, I haven't had a cold in a really long time. By the way, let's take her seriously for just a moment. Is masking going to be with us forever to fight the common cold? What do they call that? The rhinovirus? Is that is that is 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 that where we're at now? If COVID had a ninety-eight percent plus survival rate, and of course it was higher than that if you were not obese and if you weren't uh, you know over seventy-five, it was higher than ninety-eight percent. What's the cold survival rate? Higher than whatever that was. Masks forever. Some people can't get over it. I mean, you see this. The Joy Bahars of the world are saying, I'm still going to wear my mask even though I don't have to. They like the control. They like the shaming. And you know what they like more than anything else? The strutting. The strutting. The arrogance of it all. The self-importance of it all. You know what you used to call that? Elitism. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if I'll get to it in the next hour, but if you folks have a chance to look it up for yourselves, you can get it on Twitter by following Christopher F. Rufo, his Twitter handle, at RealChrisRufo, R-F-U-O. He works for the Manhattan Institute. He's been doing a lot of stuff on uh, probably some of the most important stuff, some of the most important stuff on critical race theory. Um, and he's putting up something I was talking about uh, yesterday with uh, Lindsey Graham on our show, uh, the, the war against uh, young children and girls, particularly when it comes to gender fluidity, if that's the most PC term. We have found now a uh, sexy summer camp for children in rural Kentucky, children in rural Kentucky, and uh, they have a camp schedule that he found and published. Uh, Tuesday, July 6th, Sex With Me, Self-Pleasure Workshops. has the descriptions. I almost think they're too graphic to read on radio. There's a, a workshop on gender diversity. There's a, a workshop on Talk It Out relationship. There's a workshop, Let's Talk About Sex. There's a workshop... Yeah, so this is what Marxists love to do, combine everything. Over-sexualization and policing of blackness. Sexy trans, sex ed, self-managed abortion, info sharing. You want one? Let me see what's what's the cleanest thing I can read here. This young children, summer camp, Kentucky. Okay? Um, Let's see. uh, Gender diversity. I'll read the description. Participants will learn about sex assigned at birth, biological sex, and gender identity, and how and why they might be different from what we learned in school. (laughs) Yeah, no, more like what they are learning in school, maybe different from what they learned at home. They will examine gender labels and how they are used, how what we say can harm or uplift others, and how to be compassionate and encourage others to do the same. Children that go to this summer camp, what do you think they'll turn out to do and be? You think we're breeding leaders of this country? You think we're building? What's summer camp for? Fun collegiality, building new friendships, new experiences. That's the one that worries me here, the new experiences part. That's the one that worries me. Michael Medved years ago in a book of his said, uh, for those of you that say if you don't like the culture, just turn it off, you can't. You can't. It's in the air we breathe. It's like, a, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like telling someone if you don't like the air near a smokestack, Stop breathing. You can't. It's everywhere, including, yeah, Kentucky. Kentucky. Bacha Unger Sargon coming up. You're not going to want to miss that. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 